Peace, everybody. Welcome back to the season finale of Behold Pop Culture. It's been a long 26 episodes, but we're here. 26 consecutive weeks, 26 weeks of me talking and you listening. And I've done it. I've made it to the end of this season. It won't be a long break. I'll be back in about two weeks. But I found that it would be important for me to take some time out and also give you time to be with friends and family during the holiday season to close out what has been an eventful year and just enjoy what should be a good break for everyone. So here I am closing out what was a long 26 episodes where I learned a lot about myself, the way I communicate. Many of you listeners gave me great feedback. I'm developing and getting better and better every episode. So in these two weeks, I won't be just forgetting about Behold Pop Culture. I'll be continuing to brainstorm ways to make this better and try and take it to the next level in 2021. And as always, this is the show where we take a look at some prominent people, figures, and events in pop culture today and pop culture in the past, and try and see what lessons we could take away from them. Today, the day that I'm recording the season finale, is Wednesday, December the 16th. And as I record this, I'm looking outside my window and see nothing but snow. Winter has arrived here in New York, and it's leaving me with a rather interesting backdrop to this final episode as I close out the year. So yes, this will be the final Monday until 2021. The next Monday that you'll be hearing from me will be January the 11th. So I'll try and pack this episode with as much content as I can to hold you down over the two-week break. But besides that, I'm glad if you're taking out time to listen to this. I know that we're right in the middle a final season for a lot of people. We're right in the middle of final drafts and submissions for a lot of jobs. So everyone's having a little bit of a hectic time. I hope that I can just offer you some release from that. And today is the special episode because it's the last of the three. Today, I will be giving my top 10 albums of 2020. So just to make this a little bit easier for anyone that's coming exactly for that, I'll start off with my top 10 list, and I'll end with some last thoughts on sports for what will be happening over the break and on gaming, because there was a big event I had wanted to speak about in my previous episode, but I thought that if there's any episode that might go over my usual time, It would make sense for it to be the season finale. So with that being said, we can start off the last episode of the year with my top 10 albums of 2020. And of course, as usual, we're going to start off with the honorable mentions, with the first honorable mention being King's Disease by Nas. A solid project all around. For these honorable mentions, I don't have much to say about them. The only thing that kept these albums that I'll be going off of from being in a top 10 were minor things. I think for the Nas album specifically, every song was solid, but no song blew me out the water. So it was one of those projects where I can see myself revisiting it, but it wasn't necessarily a highlight in the grand scope of my top 10 albums. Likewise, Burden of Proof, the album by Benny the Butcher, member of the popular, to say the least, group Griselda, as they've had one of the best years for any group in hip-hop history. With releasing back-to-back-to-back projects, they stayed busy between Benny the Butcher, West Side Gun, and Conway the Machine, all three of them, Drop solid projects, but this specific one, Benny the Butcher's Burden of Proof, 
Maybe it's because it's the most recent one. Maybe it's because I felt like he didn't experiment enough with this project, but still, even without that, he delivered great lyrically. He delivered great on the production. His flow was well done. And he deserves some credit for a solid album. Now, this next honorable mention could easily have been a top 10 album. By far, in my opinion, the best project of the honorable mentions. The only issue holding this album back is on me. Yes, as I went to listen to this album, it somehow got buried in the middle of some other releases that I was into at the time. So this next album, take it with a grain of salt, because if I had listened to it a little bit more, it might have been at the number one spot. Who knows? So I reserved this slot for Run the Jewels' new album, RTJ4, the fourth of a series of projects with Killer Mike delivering great lyricism and phenomenal production from... Producer LP. So I wanted to give those three albums their fair time before I dive into my list as I use my platform to promote what I deem to be good music. Now, before we dive into this top 10 list, I have to preface by saying this is an extremely subjective list. Going into this, I thought that I would make a more objective list, but honestly, that would have been pretty difficult. Not difficult because I don't think I could do it, but difficult because I would have went through a thought process of trying to please everyone's opinions, trying to make up some fake metric that I think will work, but in reality, I think it will be more beneficial to the both of us. If I give you my truthful opinion of these albums in the order that I deemed it to be. Now, I will be providing my evidence, my reasoning behind why each album is positioned at their respective slots. But just know this is my opinion. And I'm a fairly easy guy to talk to. So if you're interested in telling me I'm 100% wrong. My contact is very easy to find me. Let me know what you think. I'm always open for discussion. I'm a big music fan, which is why this was reserved the last spot for the year. So as I dive in, keep that in mind. And just know that ultimately my goal is to put everyone listening to Behold Pop Culture on to some albums that I believe produce some great music. And now that I've prefaced with the rules behind how I'm going to go about this, we can begin with number 10 on my list. Now, this is going to be a very controversial pick. I said that I enjoyed this album a lot when it came out. I still believe that this album is unique in the entire slate of music that came out this year. But after intense revision, this album moved down on my list. I'll go ahead and reveal that my number 10 album of the year was Extinction Level Event 2 by Busta Rhymes. Yes, I know. I promoted it so much saying it was this urban legend album. This album has two of my favorite songs to come out this year. With Look Over Your Shoulder featuring Kendrick Lamar and Best I Can featuring Rhapsody. But as I revised it and thought long and hard about where I wanted to place this album, I realized something simple. These long albums... With songs that anyone with a good ear could just cut out and change the whole landscape of the project need to be addressed. Busta, I'm speaking to you directly here. If you cut out five songs and cut out maybe one or two of the skits, 
This is probably my number one album of the year. Number one, not number nine, not number eight, number one. And I love albums with skits on them. I love when people take out the time to develop their album into a true experience. However, in this specific case, I think it could have been cut down a little bit more. There were some songs that I think wouldn't have made the cut if I was in the room. But again, this is just my opinion. Am I one of the most successful rappers of all time? No. Am I ahead of a record label? No. So you could take it with a grain of salt. But that aside, overall, this was a great concept album. One of my favorite experiences this year. Great lyricism. Great features. I mentioned two of my favorite songs from this year are on this album. Most albums only have one, if any at all. I think it should have been cut down, but Buster Rhymes came and delivered on a variety of beats, showed off his versatility with his rapping, and showed that even after a long seven years of rumors and long-standing questions about whether he could gain relevance in this time, Busta Rhymes delivered one of the best hip-hop albums of 2020. Number 9. Heavy is the Head by UK rapper Stormzy. Now, this is an album that outside of its initial release, I saw getting next to zero attention from mainstream media. Heavy is the Head is an album by Stormzy. For those who are unfamiliar, Stormzy is a self-proclaimed king of grime. Grime being an alternative electronic sound that is tracked back to coming out of London. And Stormzy has, without a doubt, been the most popular grime artist, putting it on the map. So he came with this album, Heavy is the Head, with a reference to the crown of being the best grime artist being very heavy. He came with a blend of electronic music, of dance hall, and as expected grime. And he surprised me. Now I've heard Stormzy's hit songs, with his most famous one being Shut Up. If you haven't seen the video for that, it's entertaining. The video, even without the music, is funny to watch. But Stormzy was known for being somewhat of a pop artist and had questions about whether or not he could deliver a well-produced, well-thought-out album. Yet here he was, an album that I just expected to check out casually ended up being one of my favorite projects of the year. He released it relatively early in the first quarter, and he used this album to reflect on the adversity that he's faced in his career so far. By getting a little bit emotional and articulating it well about his struggles with fame, and me, a person from America, being able to listen to someone from an entire different country reflect on that and see the similarities and differences It was an entertaining album, to say the least. I think it was a lot deeper than people gave it credit for. And the music itself was great. There's a lot of songs on this that I enjoyed. I loved Rainfall. He recently released the video for that, Vossi Bop. And I think that because hip-hop has originated in America, A lot of the time, Americans don't give great hip-hop artists from London, from those other countries, the credit they deserve. So I'm taking this time out to do it for them. Stormzy released a top 10 album of this year, and I highly recommend it for anyone who's familiar with the sound and enjoys that. Number 8. Pray for Paris by Griselda rapper West Side Gun. Now, I already spoke about the backstory with Griselda when I spoke about Benny's album and the honorable mentions, but at number eight, I think West Side Gun's solo album 
was the second best of them. This album, Pray for Paris, was filled with wrestling references, versatile beats, and Westside himself, who's known to be one of the weaker of the three lyrically, stepped up on this album. But by far, the thing that stood out to me was the way he arranged the features. Tyler, the creator, on an album with Freddie Gibbs? On an album with features from The Alchemist? The classic hip-hop sound that he created with this? He gave a great experience here, and Griselda on a whole has a classic feel to it, but more than their other albums because they're plentiful. There's 10-plus albums from these guys. But this specific one, I think, had the appeal where you could sit through the entire thing and not feel like it's just recycling tracks, recycling sounds. It's a very versatile beat selection that Westside went with here. So I wanted to give him his credit there, not just for his stepping up lyrically, but overall the decision making that went into this album. Number seven. After Hours by The Weeknd. Now, somehow, with over a million pre-orders, I believe, with great, I believe, 400K thousand sales first week, The Weeknd's album got almost no recognition months after, no award nominations months after, Somehow, one of the biggest pop stars in the game is being underrated this year. At least from what I've seen, I don't understand what the sentiment has been with this, but compared to his prior projects outside the famous trilogy mixtapes, this was his best album in my opinion, his best commercial project. And it was because he came with something different to what we're used to. The Weeknd allegedly got his heart broken and came with a true heartbreak record. And I actually think The Weeknd's sound lends more to this type of feel than the party drugs type of content that he was promoting previously. Now, don't get it twisted. That element is still on this album. But... I think the added emotion in this project made it his best one since Trilogy. He continued to develop his sound with good production and the emotion read in his performance. This was one of the best vocal performances of the year, in my opinion. And he delivered so well sonically. He delivered the same vibes that people are used to listening to from him. I'm actually surprised that I have to be the one to rate it higher than everyone else. This was a good project in my opinion, and it deserved more credit than it got. Number six, YHLQMDLG by Bad Bunny. Wow, that was a mouthful. But what that really translated to was, Yo hago lo que me da la gana which in English means, I do whatever I want. Bad Bunny, on his second album, came with the same Latin trap sound with the blend of the reggaeton, but as someone who was somewhat viewing Bad Bunny as the pop artist, the guy who would deliver the singles, but his album would go under the radar and not really be spoken about, I expected Bad Bunny's album to have four or five hit singles and for the most part not be worthy of being viewed as a total project. I thought he would be more of the hit artist. But with this album, I'll just have to abbreviate it to Yoago, I'll just call it that. It was a solid selection of all great songs. Now, it's not the concept album. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of concept albums. You can get me real easily with that. But the fact that it wasn't and still made it this far just speaks for itself in the fact that Bad Bunny created such great music with this sound. 
They're all party dancing tracks, but they're different enough and have such a powerful emotion behind them that it warranted such a high spot. And I think the real standout here was the production. Now, I can't speak to how much involvement Bad Bunny had, but given that he likely had the final sign-off on the decision, the production on this album, I will say, was top three this year. They created a true party environment to the point where there were no skips as far as I was concerned. There were songs that I thought could have been better. But the overall performance matched the production so seamlessly that he surprised me. So I had to give him even extra points for surprising me. And that earned him the spot at number six. Number five, Ungodly Hour by Chloe X. Halley. Now, this is likely to be the most surprising the most controversial pick that I have on this list. Because most of the people that I talk to, not only have they not heard this album, but they have no idea who Chloe X. Halley is. Now, if you are, if you want to say, hey, you know me and I do, come and let me know. But otherwise, I think this was an album that completely flew under the radar and likewise, these artists, Chloe X. Halley, the sisters, the protégés of Beyonce, I'm going as far to say they're underrated. They are one of the most talented groups, if two counts as a group, in the music game today. And on top of that, their talent actually matches the fact that they were endorsed by none other than Beyonce. So they came with this project, Ungodly Hour, and I heard little to nothing about it. Maybe it's just my timelines. But somehow, someway, I came across their record, Do It, and I said, whoa, hold on, hold on there. Hold your horses. This song is a hit. Who, who is this? Chloe X. Halley. I think I heard a song from them. With one of my favorite rappers not too long ago, but in terms of projects, I'm unfamiliar. Are these girls any good? Do they have good songs? Let let me check this out. Ungod Ungodly Hour, that's the name of this project. Let me listen to this album. And man, I was shocked. I couldn't believe I'm a huge R&B fan. And I couldn't believe that I missed this album. What's going on with their marketing team? They need to hire me. How did I not hear about this? Don't they know that I run the best podcast in the world? So Chloe X. Halley, deliver on Ungodly Hour what, to me, is a semi-flawless R&B album. There's only one track that I had any problems with, and it wasn't because of them. It was because I believed that Sway Lee had an underwhelming performance. And Sway Lee only had an underwhelming performance because Chloe and Halle were killing every other song on the album. And they were so good. This was the best vocal performance on any album this year. So it's tough that Sway Lee had to come and get drowned out, but they were that good on this project. And this is actually the only more traditional R&B album that made it on my list. But it was stories. Each song was about stories, broken love stories, someone cheated, someone didn't show enough affection, etc., etc. Typical R&B themes, but the soul that came out on this album was through the roof. And clearly the fact that they came in at the five spot shows that. This was a great album. I enjoyed it. I think I will continue to enjoy it. I love R&B albums, so the fact that an R&B album was able to make it onto my list, I'm glad to see it there. And shout out to Chloe X. Halley. I think that they're only 1920, I believe. And them starting out with this 
And not to mention, I, I forgot to say this, they wrote and produced most of the album. So with all of that going for them, they should have a bright career ahead. They just need to hire me on the marketing team or something. I don't know. They need some better people getting their name out there because this was a great album. One of my favorites of the year. Now, number four. I'm rubbing my hands together like Birdman here. At number four, I have another controversial pick. I'm here for the controversy with this list. Number four is an album that was very polarizing. I could argue that it was the most polarizing album in rap this year. So the fact that it came all the way up at number four on my list, I already know there's going to be people that flagrantly disagree. Because at number four on my list, we have Eternal Take by Little Uzi Vert. Little Uzi Vert, let's talk about him for a second. Had tremendous momentum three years ago when he dropped his album Love Is Rage 2. Is the writer of one of the greatest trap songs ever in EXO Tour Life. Had a feature on the ever popular song Bad and Bougie with the Migos. Has classic mixtapes. Has classic songs. Was somewhat at the top of the game in his peak. Might I go on? And he had several contract issues that halted his career. These contract issues led him to not releasing any projects until now. Three years, people built up hype after he announced that he had an album in the tuck called Eternal A Take. It had a completely different cover. There were leaks with completely different songs. So coming into this release, people weren't even worried about the music so much as the fact that Little Uzi was dropping. So he announced that he was dropping it on X date. And people said, okay, we're going to wait for this date and you're going to release it. But in Little Uzi fashion, in spontaneous fashion, he drops it on the Friday before out of nowhere, in the morning, people are checking their platform, Spotify, Apple Music, title, where, where, where? The full album, 18 tracks. DJ Academics hops on his Twitch to react to it. Everyone, oh my God, oh my God. New little Uzi. I have to hear it. What is going on? The album art looks cool. Aliens, what? Is there a concept? Is there not? Are these songs even going to be good? What's the highlights? The, the hype was through the roof. This was the most hyped album of this year. And it's not even close. It's a landslide. Because diehard Little Uzi fans were waiting three years for this project. And with this project, with the ridiculous hype, with the unexpected drop, the only reason that I believe that this album is polarizing is because of how much hype was behind it. The long wait. And before I go into how much I like the album, I have to preface by saying it did not live up to the expectations. And now that's only because the expectations were a 10 out of 10 classic album. That's how high they were. But within that, what got muddled in between was downgrading the album because of the hype. And for me, if he would have released this as his next project after Love is Rage 2 on a decent time gap, maybe six months to a year after that album, I think this would have had a much different reception. People would have been fine with it. Whether or not it would have been their favorite Little Uzi album, who knows? But I think there's a lot of solid tracks on this album. Baby Pluto Out the Gate blew me out the water. I was running that track back to back to back to back. There's great production. I think the production might have even stood out more than Little Uzi's performance on it. But 
I think the experimentation with it lent itself to a good overall little Uzi project. And I think we'll be coming back maybe in a year or two after the hype has completely subsided and realize that this was a solid album that I enjoyed a lot. Did it live up to the expectations? As I said, no. But it got the number four slot on Behold Pop Culture, so that's something. That's an award in and of itself. Number three. Circles by Mac Miller. Circles. The posthumous album from the late, great Mac Miller. I don't want to say too much here. I'm not going to criticize this album at all because Mac Miller was not there for the release, the final touches, etc., etc. He unfortunately passed away to a drug overdose in September of 2018. So I'm just going to give a little bit of good feedback from it. It did a great job of blurring the lines between neo-soul, jazz, and rap. He delivered great performances vocally. This was the third of my favorite three vocal performances of the year. It was smooth, it was heartfelt, and it was consistent. This was a good all-around project. It earned the number three slot, so that speaks for itself there. It's definitely the most different genre-wise of my list. And I think that's more beneficial. The uniqueness probably gave it a bump for me in overall looking at how good this project was. And I'm surprised because posthumous albums are very hit or miss. It's either they were able to capture what it seems like the artist was going for as they did with Circles, or they just completely miss it, don't know what they're doing, and just throw some verses together, which unfortunately I think is what happened with Tentacion. Number two, From King to God by Conway the Machine. Another Griselda artist. Griselda got three mentions on my list, all from individual projects. These underground rappers did their thing this year. Again, I have to say, Griselda had one of the greatest years for a rap group, for a group period that I've ever seen when you think about the quality of their projects, the amount of projects that they put out. They took advantage of this time to deliver some solid albums. And I think that Conway the Machine took his solo project to prove that he's the best lyricist in the group, as far as I can tell. Well-structured album, highly diverse sounds, and the best lyricism. This was, this would have been, you know what, I'll give it to him. This was the best lyricism on any project from this list, even the number one spot coming up. Phenomenal lyrical performance here. The content, it's the same as Griselda is known for, the gritty, hardcore rap. But the way he was twisting it here, and the fact that he added an element, an element that wasn't there with the other projects as much in the emotional aspect, A big member of the Griselda team had passed away not too long before this album released. And he was able to deliver some highly emotional tracks on this album. That not only spoke to that, but spoke to the pain that he got from his experiences in his life. Put eloquently. He was one of the best lyricists this year. I think if he released more Maybe one more solo project, I would have given him the number one slot. Maybe if he would have done more features, I would have given him the number one slot. But not too shabby here at number two. Now, the number one album for me this year, nothing controversial here. 
I think you probably could have guessed it. Number one is Freddie Gibbs Alfredo. The album between him and producer Alchemist. Very little words to say here. I had no issues with this project. Freddie Gibbs was the lyricist of the year. I know I just said that Conway the Machine had the best rapped album of the year. But when you factor in all of Freddie Gibbs' features, the fact that he never, not a single time, was out-rapped blatantly, Freddie Gibbs is the lyricist of this year. It was a great run, coming off of his prior album, Bandana. And with this project, this was highly versatile, which I think is more credited to The Alchemist, who I think is a phenomenal producer. The features that he did have on this project did their thing. I think Rick Ross had a standout feature, Tyler the Creator as well. Tyler the Creator, underrated with his features that came out this year. But overall, 10 concise songs, no filler. Just let me give you 10 hot tracks. Boom. All great, all good lyricism, all good stories where they were told. And earning the number one spot for Behold Pop Culture's albums of the year. So congratulations to everyone who made the list. They earned a Behold Pop Culture round of applause. And that is the last of my list for 2020. Now I'm not going straight to the ending as I mentioned before. I want to finish out the season finale with some comments on sports and gaming. So just on the sports side of things, before the year ended out, I thought the best use of my time would be to give my NBA predictions as the season is starting this week that you're hearing it. So we'll go from bottom to top, from one of the lesser important Awards to the most important one. So we'll start off with Coach of the Year. Whew. This was a tough award to look at because I kind of picked with the teams that I think will be the most interesting to watch this year. My first candidate here, I think, is Frank Vogel, the easy one. Frank Vogel, the coach of the Lakers. If they can be the number one team in the league again, he'll have to be penciled in there. The only thing that would take any credit away from him is the fact that he has two of the top five players in the league in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. The next candidate I have here is Steve Nash. The NBA loves to give awards to new coaches that they could show out. That happened with Steve Kerr. That happened with Dan Tony. Even though he wasn't a new coach, he was coming back into the league as a head coach. And I think Steve Nash, the coach of the Brooklyn Nets, if the Nets can find a way to top the Eastern Conference, Steve Nash has to be in the conversation, without a doubt. Even with all the talent that team has, if he can tie it all together, Steve Nash is there. And the only other person... That falls in that slot for me is Monty Williams, the coach of the Phoenix Suns, because that team that just added Chris Paul has a deadly trio there with Chris Paul, the scorer and growing star Devin Booker, and the underrated center that is DeAndre Ayton, whose year was cut short because he tested positive for a performance enhancer. So those three candidates, I think, will make the best cases for Coach of the Year this year. The next award is Most Improved Player, which I think two people are just running away with the odds here, in my opinion. It's between Michael Porter Jr., who, in my opinion, has a Kevin Durant-esque ceiling for his scoring ability and is going to be getting starter minutes without a doubt on that Nuggets team. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander, one of my favorite young players in the league, 
Shea was able to show off on that Oklahoma City Thunder team, even with Chris Paul as the leader. So after learning from one of the greatest point guards of all time, in Chris Paul, one of the highest IQ players, Shea was already a high IQ player, one of the best players in the league coming off the pick and roll. So with that development and now the keys to the franchise in his hands, I have little doubt that he could take the next step forward and be looked at as a household name, as a star in the NBA. The next award is the Rookie of the Year. And this award, I can't make an accurate prediction because the roles that these rookies will play are still somewhat up in the air. But I boiled it down to three. I think at number one, you have to put LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball is an oversized point guard with a knack for passing just like his brother. And the only question is if his shooting will translate into the league. And if his three-point percentage can stay on point, he has an easy path to averaging 15 and 10 on that Hornets team that's somewhat deficient of talent now that Gordon Hayward will be injured for likely a month at least. The next player that I think has a good chance is Obi Toppin from my New York Knicks. And his explanation is clear as day. The Knicks are deficient in talent. Obi is talented. He went to college for four years, so he has a high IQ. He has experience working in a system. It will just boil down to whether or not he's actually good. Because I think it'll be rather easy for him to perform closer to his rookie ceiling because of the opportunities that the Knicks will give him to be great. And lastly, Killian Hayes. A similar story in that he's on a team that I believe will give him every opportunity to be great. Killian Hayes coming from overseas and showing a high IQ already. I have questions as to whether or not his scoring ability will translate as he drew comparisons to James Harden, who is in his own bit of trouble right now with all these rumors coming out about him being too controlling on the Houston Rockets. But that aside, Killian Hayes is an interesting pick here as well. For Defensive Player of the Year, a traditionally... Big man awarded award. It's easy to pick someone like Rudy Gobert, Joel Embiid as a dark horse here, or even Anthony Davis, who's one of the best defenders in the league. But I want to give credit to Drew Holiday here. Drew Holiday, who was traded from the Pelicans to the Milwaukee Bucks, will have every opportunity on primetime games to shut down opposing stars. With the loaded point guard position in this league, he can show out and be one of the few guards to win the award. You're talking about putting him up there with some of the greatest defenders of all time in Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Gary Payton, the glove. There's very few guards that have won this award, so if he can do so, he will put himself in elite company. And lastly, for the MVP award, I think there are three players that have rather clear paths to this award. I think it's Luka Doncic, whose talent speaks for himself. And with Kristaps Porzingis missing part of this season, he could put up 30-10-10 and carry that Dallas Mavericks team. Damian Lillard, who's in a similar situation where I think he will have to carry his team. At the very least, he'll have to shoulder the offensive load for his team, as the players that they've picked up have been more on the defensive side to combat teams like the Warriors or the Lakers when they have to face opposing superstars. And Anthony Davis. With LeBron only getting older and older, still the best player in the league, but only getting older and older, I think it will be very reasonable for LeBron to say, hey, 
I'm putting on a lot of mileage on my body. I'm going to take a step back here in the regular season and let you be an MVP and turn it up in the playoffs as LeBron always does. So there's an easy path for Anthony Davis to show out as we already know he's one of the best players in the league and a hybrid player at that. But a fourth player I just wanted to give some attention to here that I think has an easy path if he can just stay healthy is Joel Embiid. Yes, in the last 40 years of the NBA, there haven't been many big men to win the award. The last center to win the award was Shaquille O'Neal back in the 90s. So the fact that I'm going so far as to say Joel Embiid might be the first center since Shaquille O'Neal to win the award says something. I believe that Joel Embiid is capable of 30 and 15 easily. If he puts his mind to it, if he can be efficient, if he can stay healthy, his underrated defense will also show and put him in that conversation. So those are the main awards that I wanted to speak about there and just share my thoughts on who might be the candidates for it. But I think that's enough of speaking about sports here. We'll have plenty to talk about as when I come back, the season will be in full throttle. So that just leaves us with gaming. On the film side, it's just Wonder Woman and Soul will be coming out, which I'll give my thoughts on when we come back if I get to watch those. But we can dive into the last section of gaming where the only thing I wanted to speak about here was the Game Awards. This isn't a ultra-relevant award show. This is definitely more niche. Only hardcore gamers will probably have any interest in it. But I wanted to shed some light on some picks that people were interested in. And by far, the biggest sentiment that I saw was hate after hate after disappointment after some more hate because Last of Us 2 was sweeping up all the awards. Just to start naming them off, they won Best Action and Adventure, Best Performance, Best Narrative, Best Audio, Innovation, Best Game... It was ridiculous. Not to mention that they won Game of the Year. And if we were to do a poll on everyone who played the game, I think we would see some very different results. It beat out Animal Crossing, which I spoke about in my previous episode on gaming. And it also beat out Ghost of Tsushima, which I thought was a game that even transcended this year. So to each his own, but... That did not get a lot of good responses from fans. But some other notable awards, Animal Crossing did win Best Family Game. Among Us, a game that I'm a fan of, won Best Multiplayer and Best Mobile Game. And is now actually going to be available on the Nintendo Switch for anyone who has that. And Final Fantasy VII Remake won Best Role Playing Game. So in those cases, I thought that those were good picks. There were really no complaints there. The only complaints with the award show were with The Last of Us 2 sweeping up the awards. There were some notable gaming trailers. Super Smash Bros. announced the arrival of character Sephiroth, a popular character from the game Final Fantasy, which made sense coming off the great game that was Final Fantasy VII Remake. Likewise, Among Us announced a new map which I'm interested to keep my eye out on because Fall Guys struggled when it was time to expand, and we'll see how Among Us deals with that. Mass Effect was announced, a new game. That's a more niche game as well, but is critically acclaimed. Everyone who played it loved it, to my understanding, and that's a game that I might be interested in experimenting with as well. And lastly, another cult classic game, Left 4 Dead, is receiving a third iteration. What likely should be the last one in what is called Back 4 Blood. 
But closing out the year, all of the gaming companies are just focusing on trying to get consoles in the hands of people who want to play them. They're gearing up for 2021. As I've spoke about, their major releases are coming out in 2021. That's the start. There are some big games coming out that I'm looking forward to. Probably the biggest game that I want to see is God of War. Because the last one was a 10 out of 10 game as far as I'm concerned. But once everyone gets their hands on next-gen consoles who want it, that's when it's all systems go for major releases. And that's it, guys. We've made it to the end. The season finale of Behold Pop Culture as I can no longer see out of my window with snow covering it. This was a great journey. I'm not going to act like this is the end and give a long speech on that because it's more like just a break. It doesn't really make sense for me to be releasing an episode on January the 4th. It doesn't make sense for me to be releasing an episode next week where everyone's going to be so focused on finishing things out. Some people are leaving, taking trips, going to be with family for the holidays. It would be unrealistic for me to demand time out of you in the middle of the holidays when I really want you to be relaxing and regrouping so that it's a better year in 2021. So closing out the year, thank you, really thank you, everyone, who stuck with me throughout these episodes. And even if you're new here, thank you for listening. You know, I come here, I get to talk about things that I have a passion for. I'll I'll never, never be disappointed with what I do here and never be disappointed if anyone's ever offering real feedback. I love doing this, which is why I'm going to continue to do this and continue to be dedicated to making this the best it can be. So don't think that I'm leaving for these two weeks and not thinking about the whole pop culture and thinking about you. I will be. And I hope that you keep me in mind as well. Have a happy holidays. Have a happy end of the year. Get refocused. Make 2021 a better year than 2020 was. And thank you for listening. I will talk to you next year. I love everyone who took the time out to listen to my voice as I get better and better. And I'll see you in 2021. This is Behold Pop Culture.